town. We had a good time down in North Carolina. It was nice and warm for a few days and then cold and rainy for a couple of days and windy. So, uh, But we had a nice place to stay and lots of things to do and lots of people, so it was great. But uh, it's good to be home too. And uh, this morning we want to continue our study in systematic theology. So let me um, invite you to grab one of these sheets in front of you. Last time we looked at uh, an introduction to systematic theology, so we'll just kind of look over a few things that we looked at last time, and that was systematic theology is the orderly arrangement of the study of God. So theology is simply the word that means the study of God, and systematics is the orderly arrangement of it. So we have the orderly arrangement... You put that up there. There you go. Orderly arrangement of the study of God. So that's what we plan to do over these next several months is to to study through the different doctrines of Scripture to see why we believe what we believe. And uh, the importance of this is that we'll be able to see the big picture. We'll be able to connect the dots uh, between different doctrines. We we have. Uh, we, we, for those of us who've been in church for a while, we have sat under teaching. We've seen these doctrines in different ways, but we haven't really connected them. We don't understand how they fit into the bigger picture, and so systematic theology helps us to do that. We'll see why we believe what we believe. Um, so this will uh, speak to the why of it. And in studying the Scripture this way, we will bring glory to God by reflecting Christ through His body, which is the church. And this will give us an opportunity to grow in our own personal holiness, our own personal understanding of the Scriptures. And um, and ultimately, it will determine our attitudes and our practices because what we believe determines how we think, how we, uh, we feel about a certain situation, how we act out in a certain situation. When God brings a trial into our lives, we, we respond in a certain way because of what we believe. Okay, It doesn't work the other way. Our feelings should never govern what we believe. Should our, our beliefs should govern our feelings. In other words, the more biblically that we think about God and His truth, the more we will be filled with the knowledge of His Word and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's what Paul prays for the believers in Philippians chapter 1. He says, I pray that you will be filled with all knowledge and wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you will know what the will of God is and you'll be able to do it. All right, so that was last time the uh, introduction to systematic theology. Today we want to turn our attention to our first doctrine, and that is the doctrine of the Word of God. The doctrine of the Word of God. Um, let me read... Um, let me read uh, this section for you and you tell me where you think this comes from. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Any idea where those are from? Psalm what chapter? Psalm 119, right? The longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119, that's verses 9 through 11. I have hidden my, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you want to know the importance of Scripture, uh, I would encourage you to read through Psalm 119. What you're going to find in Psalm 119 is that nearly every verse refers to the Word of God. It has 
It has it put in different ways, sometimes ordinances, statutes, commands, decrees, word. Um, but, but, but the psalmist is talking about his value, his love for the Word of God. It's all about knowing God. And what the psalmist tells us there is that the pathway to knowing God is knowing His Word. Now, that seems very elementary, but we can skip that point very easily when it comes to the Christian life. We expect to know God some other way. We expect to come to a knowledge of God and who He is in some other way than through His Word. But the way that God has revealed Himself is through speaking. And He spoke His, His words and recorded them for us here in the Bible. We'll talk about that more later, why that's so important. But I want to begin today by <clears throat> giving a case for the Bible as our authority. Why should we have the Bible as our authority? The first reason is that the Old Testament confirms it. Okay, the first reason that the Old Testament confirms it. The second reason is that the New Testament confirms it. And then the third reason is that um, credibility is seen in its unity. Alright, so let's begin with the first one. The Old Testament confirms it. The Old Testament Scriptures, the Psalms, uh, the, pro the prophetic writings, uh, all of these writings were based on the the authority of the written Word. And uh, so, I mean, we have the written revelation. Uh, we have written revelation all the way back to the time of Moses, really. It began with God writing down on the tablets the Ten Commandments and giving them to Moses at, at the top of Mount Sinai and, uh, and sending them down to the people. Moses would later have to write all of the commands that God had given to them and write them down. We, we have that in the first five books of our Bible. And, um, and these were God's words to His people. You see, God, God knows us fully. God doesn't have to ask us any questions about who we are. But if we are to know God, we have to know He has to speak to us. If God were never to speak to us, we would not know God. Um, God has to speak to us in order for us to know Him in a let me say this more more um, precisely in a personal way. Okay, everyone knows that there is a God, even though everyone hasn't read the Scriptures. The 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 um, Romans chapter one tells us that everyone knows that there is a God. From creation, they can tell His invisible attributes that, that He has a powerful God, that He is the Creator. Now, they, they don't want to know that there's a God. They don't want to believe that, and so they suppress the truth. But, but ultimately, everybody knows that there's a God. If we want to know God in a personal way, God has to speak to us. And, and what's interesting, from the very beginning, you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and what you're going to find is that... that that God interacts with humans in a personal way. He, he, he speaks uh, at the beginning of creation. He says, let there be light. He's not saying to the light, you need to exist. He says simply out into the open air, let there be light, and there was light. Um, but when it comes to humans, he, he gets down, he takes some dust, he forms man with the dust of the ground and then he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And, with, and for the woman, he takes the rib from the man and he creates her out of the rib from the man. 
You see, God acts in a personal way. Why would God do this to humans and not to animals? I think the answer to that is because God is a personal being. And God wants to have a personal relationship with humans, not with animals. Um, And we see this throughout Scriptures um, as God is working to build a relationship with us so that He can be our God and that we can be our people. But the problem is is that there is a gulf fixed between us and God. God is perfect. God is holy. God has never sinned. God cannot sin. We are sinful creatures. How can a, a perfect God live among sinful creatures? And that's really what the story of the Bible is all about. It's about God bringing uh, His people to Himself, reconciling His people to Himself, who were once estranged, once His enemies. And, um, and He did that, of course, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, through His death, burial, and resurrection that we celebrate today. But in order for us to know about any of this, this that has happened and, and, and anything about God in a personal way, God has to speak. And so that's why God's Word is so critical to our understanding. The Old Testament writers understood this. Jesus Himself treated the Old Testament Scripture as absolutely authoritative. He referred to them constantly and He would give them full weight of His authority. Remember when He was talking to the Pharisees, the Pharisees would often argue with him and, and ask him uh, pointed questions and try to trick him. And Jesus would say, Have you not read? And he would point back to the Old Testament. He'd, say, he'd basically hold up the Old Testament as God's Word. Here's what God told you to do. Just go back and read it. It's there. Um, in John 10, Jesus says, The Scriptures cannot be broken. Jesus often when he quotes from the Old Testament, says, it is written. Or it could be translated, it has been written, it has been inscribed from God's pen. In other words, through the men of God here. Through men of God, God wrote and, and they, uh, they, they inscribed God's Word. We'll talk about how that happened here in just a second. Um, and, uh, and to show further that the Old Testament was true, that Jesus Himself abided by the Scriptures, that Jesus lived a perfect life, and the life that He was required to live was according to the Old Testament commands. Remember, the New Testament wasn't around at that time when when Jesus was on the earth. Um, In Luke 24, it says that everything that was written about Him, the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms, had to be fulfilled. So we see that Jesus ended His life of obedience by dying in obedience to the Scripture. Part of his part of the reason that He came, perhaps a uh, better way to say it, the main reason He came was to die. Was to give Himself as a ransom for many because if He didn't die, we would have to die for our own sin. So the reason we know that the um, Bible is our authority is because the Old Testament confirms it and the Old Testament is confirmed by Jesus Christ. Secondly, because the New Testament confirms it. Um, in Matthew 28, Jesus spoke to the disciples after His resurrection and seems to uh, anoint them particularly to complete His teaching. In uh, John 14:16, Jesus promises to send uh, the Holy Spirit to the disciples to remind them of all the things that He taught them. He, he starts to 
remind the disciples so that they know how to to bring these thoughts together and put them in inscripturated form. In fact, all of the New Testament is written by an apostle of Jesus Christ, except for a few. Mark was written uh, by a disciple of Peter, so it was still confirmed by an apostle. And so you have these special men that God had appointed um, uh, in order to write this uh, this New Testament that we hold in our hands. Turn to Second Peter chapter three with me, because the uh, the disciples understood this as well that the New Testament was truth. Second Peter chapter three. This is Peter speaking of Paul's writings. And notice what he says about them in verse 16. Someone read that for us. Go ahead, Bill. Okay, so Peter's point here is that Paul's writings are hard to understand, but what I want to draw your attention to is the end of the verse where he says, as they do also, that is, they distort these also, as they do the rest of the Scriptures. So what's Peter doing there? He's lumping into the same category Paul's writings and when he's talking about the rest of the Scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. He's saying, you know how we affirm that the Old Testament is truth? Well, what I'm telling you is that Paul's writings is on the same level as the Old Testament writings because it comes from God. It is inspired by God. In 1 Timothy 5.18, Paul says, For the Scriptures say, and then quotes Deuteronomy, and also the Gospel of Luke. So, So what Paul's saying there is not just the Old Testament is Scripture, but he's saying that Luke's writing is also Scripture. So the, the apostles are affirming, confirming that the New Testament is truth. Um, and uh, the, uh, the apostles understood this. They understood that the authority of the New Testament, they shared Jesus' view of the Old Testament, understood themselves to be furthering the authoritative teaching. Paul commanded in his letter to the Colossians that it be passed along and read to others in Colossians 4.6 while Peter refers to his and the other apostles preaching as inspired by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, 1 Peter 1, 12. Alright, so we know that the Old Testament is true because Jesus confirms it, because it was written by men of God. We know that the New Testament is true because the apostles, the writers of Scripture, are, are affirming that it is from the hand of God. We'll look at 2 Timothy 2 here in just a second. Um, but thirdly, we know that the Bible is our authority because of the credibility of Scripture. The credibility of Scripture as seen in its unity. Um, the Scripture itself says it is the authority. That it is authoritative. Now, as, as, as um, God's creation, we have a responsibility to, to follow what God has said. And so if God has said that His Word is truth, then we ought to believe that His Word is truth. In John 17, 17, Jesus says, 
Jesus prays to His Father about His disciples. He says, sanctify them or make them holy. Make them more godly by your truth. And then He says at the end of the verse, your word is truth. We should not be surprised by this because God is truth. And if God wrote the Scriptures, which He did, all God is the divine author of the entire Scriptures. We have individual authors who actually penned it. But, but ultimately, God is the, hum, is the divine author. If God is truth, then can God write down a lie? Can God, can God inscripturate something? Can God ever uh, uh, tell, tell a mistake or an error, I guess you could say? Can God ever make an error in His writing? Absolutely not. So we should expect His, his Word to be true just as He is true. And then uh, Scripture's overall message is unified throughout. There, there is not, there are no contradictions in the Scripture. Now you may, you may have been, uh, if you study the Scripture for a while, you may have seen some apparent contradictions, but that's all they are—the only apparent contradictions. And that's because either we are finite. Um, I mean, it is because we are finite. We don't understand all the implications of what's being written sometimes, but. But ultimately, um, God says that His Word is truth and, and that should be enough for us. And throughout the ages, the Scriptures have been, um, have been uh, facts in the Scriptures have been proven. They have been... Uh, but, but, but even if we laid up all the evidence and, and all the scientific proof for the Scriptures being accurate, that, that doesn't, that's not really the final authority. Because if we, if we go to the science realm, which is not a bad thing, but if we go to the science realm for whether or not the Scriptures are true, then what ultimately becomes our authority? The, the realm of science. Now it's, well, let's see, actually that's disproved the Scripture, so the Scripture must be false. The Scripture always has to have um, carry the weight over science and reason, and that's why we must believe it as true. We'll, uh, we'll touch on that at the end here this morning. All right. So, before we move on to the next section of the attributes of Scripture, does anyone have any questions on um, the reason that we need to have our Bible or, or why we see the Bible as our authority? We'll talk about why that's important here uh, at the end, but do you have any questions or comments? All right. When we get to God's attributes, we're going to talk about the attributes of God. That is, his personality, his his character, who he is, that he is holy, that he is great, that he is majestic, those types of things. But today what we want to look at, since we're looking at the doctrine of the Word of God, we want to look at the attributes of the Word of God, the attributes of Scripture. So let's look at the first one, and that is divine inspiration. Turn to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. And would someone read for us verses 14 through 17?
All right. So Paul here is talking to Timothy and he says, you've known these things that you've learned and become convinced of because your parents, your your, your mother particularly and your grandmother have taught these to you. And um, and then he goes on in verse 16 to say, and this is the phrase we want to focus on, all Scripture is inspired by God. Um, some translations put that word inspired as God-breathed. That, that literally is how it comes out in the Greek language, that, that the Scripture is breathed out by God. But, but the, uh, probably a better translation is inspiration or inspired like you have here in, in your um, copy of the Bible in front of you. And it refers to the divine origin of Scripture, that it, that it ultimately comes from God. And what He inspires is not the person primarily. He re- inspires the writing. So, Paul could have written a hundred other documents or a thousand other documents in in his lifetime, but not all of those documents were inspired. What was inspired were the ones that actually made it into the Scriptures. Okay, so 2 Timothy, uh, 1 and 2 Timothy, Paul's 13 epistles that he wrote. um, These are the ones that God had inspired. That is, that they came directly from God and were designed to, to come through that human agent and go down and be passed down through the ages and be um, inscripturated or 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 to be maintained as the word of God throughout the ages and so inspiration then may be defined as a supernatural providential influence of God's Holy Spirit upon the human authors which caused them to write what God wished to be written for the communication of revealed truth to others. Turn over to Second Peter chapter one. See another passage here talking about the divine origination of God's word, of the Bible. Second Peter chapter one, and I'll read verse twenty and twenty one. But now, but know this first of all that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So in Second Timothy, what we saw was that the Scripture was given by God, that it was inspired by God. But here we see a little bit of how it was done, that that it was done as the Holy Spirit moved men along to, to, to write down the words that God intended. Now, that doesn't mean that they were robotic in doing it, that they had no use of their hand. God was just taking over. Uh, God did use their personalities. If you read through the text of Scripture, you see that the personality of the author actually comes out. But God worked through those, those, um, those personalities and used these men to write the Scriptures that we have in front of us that have been preserved throughout all these ages. Um, God used providential but also sur- supernatural means to to make sure that the the Word of God was inspired. Now, why is this important? 
importance of this is for is that it shows us that that it is our authority. It is the primary source of our revelation of about God. If it were only of human origin, then it could be replicated and it could be improved upon. We could just throw it into a pile of all the other uh, wise documents that have been written throughout the ages and uh, and billions of books that were written by infallible authors. But because it has divine origin, that it was written by God, that the Holy Spirit worked through these men to accomplish His uh, perfect writing, it therefore stands as our judge, our authority. And um, and that means it must be obeyed. Okay, so the first characteristic or attribute of the Scripture is inspiration, that God originated it. God, it is God's writing. Is that clear? Do you understand what that that means and why that's important? All right. Secondly, biblical inerrancy. Inerrancy. That means that it contains no errors without error, literally. Secondly, we see that the Scripture is inerrant. This means that the original manuscripts, the ones that the apostles, the prophets, and, and so on, what they originally wrote down, those original manuscripts uh, do not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. They do not have any errors in them. In other words, the Bible always tells the truth regard to everything that it talks about. And as I said earlier, um, God is truth. Hebrews 6.18 says it's impossible for God to lie. So it would naturally fit that every word of God is true, like Proverbs 30, verse 5 says. Um, and so that means that it, it is, uh, it's got a claim on, on, it's got a corner on the market of truth. It, uh, it actually is the source of all truth. The scripture, the scriptures are. We, uh, we live in a, a society that, that questions everything, that questions everything in a cynical way. Uh, it's not wrong to question everything, I don't think. I think we ought to be, um, critical in a good way. I think even when we come to the Scriptures, we ought to ask questions of it. That's how we learn. That's a good thing. But when we do it in a cynical way, that's not a good thing, especially when it comes to the Scriptures. We live in a society that questions everything in a cynical way. And and what happens is when we we start to question the Scriptures in a cynical way, then what happens is the, the Scriptures now become open for dispute and and the power of God that that is designed to come through its word has now been compromised because we've exalted our own human reasoning our own own human understanding over what the scriptures say we'll talk about the importance of inerrancy here when we get to the next attribute but do you have any questions or comments on that okay this one goes right along with it. the third one that is infallibility okay so inerrancy is that it contains no errors. Infallibility means that it's incapable of making an error. It's incapable of making an error. Um, so it cannot be misleading. It is wholly trustworthy. It is completely true. So that means that there, when we read through the story of Jonah, 
and the Old Testament prophets, we believe that there is actually a real, there was a real Jonah that was swallowed by a real fish. And it was inside those that fish for three days. Um, and so if we believe that the Bible is infallible, that is, it's incapable of making any errors or mistakes, then we also recognize that it's reliable and, and it's profitable for us. In fact, when we look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, it says that it is profitable for, and then it lists four things, doctrine, reproof, instruction, and correction, and righteousness. So, so all the Scriptures are designed to be profitable for us. And because they are, um, we, this, this doctrine or this attribute really helps us. In fact, the importance of it is that it is trustworthy. Because the Scriptures are, they contain no errors and errant, and because they're infallible, that they are incapable of making errors, we can be confident that what we read in the Scripture is true. That God is not trying to deceive us. That the Scripture writers are not trying to pull the wool over our eyes. That it can be, uh, that, that it, it must be, the direction must be the source of our direction in life. That the place we turn when times are good and the place we turn when times are tough. Number four, clarity. The fourth attribute of the Scripture is, is the clarity of the Scripture. That is, the Scriptures are clear. It is rational. That means that ordinary people can read and understand the Bible. Now, again, we understand that there are parts of the Scriptures that are difficult to understand. Second Peter 3, Peter's talking about Paul's writings. We already read that earlier. He says these are hard to understand, some of the things that he says. But the reason for that is not because the Scriptures are unclear. The reason for that is because we lack discernment. As, as fallible, sinful human creatures, we lack discernment, the full discernment to understand all of what's in the Scripture. But that doesn't mean that the Scriptures are unclear. Listen to David in Psalm 19, verse 7. He says, "...the statutes or the word of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple." So when we fail to understand what the Bible is saying... It's not because the Scripture is, is, um, is unclear. It's because either we have misunderstood it or we have rejected it. We have chosen to misunderstand it. And um, it was Luther, Martin Luther's understanding of this principle, that the Scriptures are clear, that caused him to make a German translation of the Bible which I believe was the first one, he tried to, to pass it out to, to all as many people as he could because he believed that the Scriptures were clear and he wanted to make sure as many people had it as possible. The importance of this is that that um, makes the Scriptures profitable. So when you read through the Scriptures, we have a Bible reading schedule that we're going through right now. We're reading through Leviticus and Psalms at this point in April. And, and as you're reading through that, you can, you can see that the Scriptures are profitable because they are from God and they are clear. Not a, a fruitless venture. With the Holy Spirit's aid, we can understand the, the Scriptures. 
Listen to uh, J.I. Packer on this topic. He says, Our own intellectual competence is not the test and measure of divine truth. It is not for us to stop believing because we lack understanding of how to resolve these seeming contradictions or to postpone believing till we can get understanding. But it is our responsibility to believe in order that we may understand. Faith first, sight afterwards is God's order, not vice versa. And the proof of the certainty of our faith is our willingness to have it so. All right, so, so what he's saying there is that we need to go to the Scriptures, believe first, and, and then understand. Okay, God says it. I believe it. That's enough. I may not fully understand it, but I believe it. And that's why one of the reasons why we're going through this class because we have uh, typically we have typically gone through through life and we've we've believed certain things, but we don't know why. And so we're trying to work through a lot of these doctrines to help answer some of those questions. Number five, necessity of scripture. The scripture is necessary. In other words, we can't know anything about salvation apart from the Word of God. We have to have God speak to us to tell us how we can be saved, what He demands in order for us to be saved. We deserve God's wrath because of our sin. We stand condemned before a holy God. We deserve His judgment. So so how do we get out from underneath that judgment? We just make up something in our minds? Do we... Uh, do we um, surf the internet and try to find out what the best reasoning is from there? I mean, the, the the answer is to go to God. God has written it down. And so, God gave us the Scriptures and they are necessary in order for us to know anything about salvation. They are the source of salvation. Scriptures are necessary. They are the source of salvation. Number six sixth attribute is sufficiency. Here we see that the Scripture is sufficient. Again, 2 Timothy 3 talks about all Scripture is inspired and is profitable for these things to, in, in order to equip us. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. You, you think... You, you think things are unclear in your life? You think you don't know what the next step is that you ought to take? Well, what God is saying is that He's given you everything that you need. That is, He's given it to you through His Word. And if you would just go to His Word, if you would believe it as true, you would accept it, you would follow it, obey it, then you would be surprised at what, what God would, would, uh, would do through you. And so the importance of this is that it makes the Scripture our witness. It is our witness. God did not leave us lacking in His revelation. So we we don't need to be afraid of these supposed new revelations being proposed that supposedly um, you know, are God's Word to us. God speaks through His Word. That's how He speaks to us today. All right, let me conclude by talking about what I've kind of touched on already, and that is experience versus Scripture or tradition versus Scripture. Sometimes what we do is we we put on the same plane tradition and reason and the Scriptures. 
We want to see, okay, let's see them battle it out, and whoever comes out on top is the winner. But ultimately, that's not the right way to look at it because tradition and um, and reason often err. That is, they often make mistakes. They often contradict themselves. But the Scriptures never do. And so if we want to place tradition on the same level as the Scriptures or to tr- place it on a, on a higher level than the Scriptures, then what we've done is... is um, We've determined what's most important from our own perspective. Our reasoning has trumped the Scriptures, has tried to trump the Scriptures, and that's as silly as trying to shine a flashlight at the sun in order to, to, to see some of its qualities. It's foolishness. We need to recognize that, that God is the one who has spoken. God has spoken through His Word. His Word is perfectly true. His, per, his Word is right. All others are subjected to it. That means that Scripture trumps tradition. And Scripture trumps reason. There's ever a question in your mind. Okay, well, this is the way I've always done it. Or this is the way I've always seen churches do it. But the Scriptures say this. If there's ever a question, the Scripture always wins. Because the Scripture is from God. If there's ever a question in your mind, you know, God has told me to do something, but I don't think that's right. I don't think that would be the best move for me. Scripture wins because God is right. God is infinite. He knows much more than we do. He knows infinitely more than we do. Let me just give you an example from Scripture. God spoke to Abraham shortly after God finally had given to him his promised son, Isaac. Abraham at this time was over a hundred years old. Isaac was probably a young teenager at this time. And God said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to kill your son. I want you to sacrifice him for me. Now, Abraham, if he wanted to look back at tradition or reason and put that in a place on the same level as God's Word to him, go sacrifice your son to me, then then his human reason would have trumped God's Word and said, I'm not going to do it. That doesn't make sense. Why would I kill the Son of Promise? Why would I sacrifice Him? Okay. Or if tradition... You know, in, in his history past, God's never asked anybody to do this. Why would I do this? But you know what Abraham thought according to Hebrews chapter 11? He thought, if I sacrifice my son, God will raise him from the dead. He has the power. You know how I know that? Because God's Word tells me that. God's Word tells me that. I've seen it before. I, I've, I've, I've experienced God's power. Okay, we've got to be careful too about using experience to trump Scripture too. But, but I've seen God's Word in action. God's Word is true. I'm going to believe God's Word. And He did. And before he could sacrifice his son, God stopped him. Um, we could think of multiple example examples of this sort of thing. Let me just conclude by um, showing you our statement of faith. Just tr- want, wanting to bring in our statement of faith to these doctrines that we're studying to show you um, show you what we're um, what we believe at this church. And, uh, and that these beliefs that we've put 
onto paper that the the, um, the founders of this church have put onto paper are designed or are actually drawn from the scriptures, and that's why we hold to them. The, the point I want to, to draw your attention to is about the third line down. You you can read through that whole thing. I'd encourage you to do that. But uh, one, two, three, four. Uh, we believe that, and then it says that it has God for its author and is the Word of God and does not contain the Word of God. And it's not um, in, in our in our framework in our in our uh, context doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. But what they were getting at is something that was that was opposed during the time that they wrote this. Our church started in 1939, and um, People were suggesting that the Bible just contained the Word of God. And that what they meant by that was in order for us to get the meaning from the Word of God, we had to go to it and discern it properly. That is, that the, the Bible just contains words of God. And, and in order for us to come up with the actual Word of God, we have to put our human reasoning on it. And so what, what, our, um, what these men who wrote this down in our statement of faith, we're doing where they're saying, no, it doesn't just contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Take all your reasoning aside. Take all of the additions that need to be put onto it. It is the Word of God all by itself. That's the idea of that statement there. Okay, then it, it concludes there. Uh, second part says that it has truth without any mixture of error. Okay, so you're talking about inerrancy, infallibility, like we talked about, that it reveals the principles by which God will judge, judge us, that it shall remain, therefore, to the end, the true center of all Christian union, that it brings Christians together, the supreme standard by which all human conduct creates. Okay, again, it is profitable. And, uh, and the way that they put that is that it is the supreme standard, that the Scriptures trump everything else. Nothing stands above the Scriptures. The reason that, that, that this is so important is we, the only way we can know about God is if God tells us. And the only way that God speaks to us in this age in a personal way is through His Word. He doesn't give people tiny little conversations in their ears. He doesn't write things out on the sands or out in the clouds and we have to read them or, or, or get on our decoder glasses and look at whatever. God speaks to us through His Word. And He speaks to us in a clear way. And it is profitable, sufficient, necessary for the source of our salvation. And so our responsibility is to do what? What is it? To read it and submit to it. This is God speaking to us. I mean, I would think that if God wanted to have a personal interview with you, he wanted to sit down with you that you would make time for him for that to happen. You'd be if he were he were to come here in in bodily form and want to sit down and talk with you, you would make time for that. And what I'm telling you is that he wants to speak to you. We think that we can know about God in in many other ways other than going to the scripture and what I'm telling you is that we can't. Again, read Psalm 119 and you will see very clearly that in order to know God, you must know His Word. Don't stop pursuing God through His Word. If it has become difficult, a chore, a, 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 um, a burden in some cases, to read the Word of God, 
to meditate on it, to, to memorize it. Be encouraged. Your progress is, is, uh, is profitable and it will help you to think rightly about God. Remember, our beliefs determine our attitudes and our beliefs ter- determine our actions. And the, the way that we govern or make sure that we are believing in the right way is by going to the Scriptures. Any questions or comments? Bill? Yeah. I have a question for you. Yes, sir. Uh, it, it seems to me as if since Paul was writing to the church and he was in the, in the old scriptures, that that was what they meant. What do you think about that? Um, I I don't understand the question. So you're you're saying that Peter's not? He's trying to understand the Old Testament script. No, Peter's saying that it's Paul's writing is hard to understand. Oh oh. Mm-hmm. that he did. And, and Paul received revelations from God out in the desert that when he started writing, he was interpreting the old scripture which they had. And that's why they was... Yeah, yeah, I definitely... problem with what Paul was doing. I definitely think that that plays into it because the Old Testament, according to the Jewish tradition, had been understood in a different light. Now he's starting to, to tie the Old Testament to where it was really pointing, which was to the Messiah... And they're saying this is hard to understand. Even Peter was was having trouble uh, understanding a lot of what Paul had to say. And uh, yeah, it's a good point, Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah, good. Good, yeah, and if um, we don't come to that point where we do submit to its truth, we're always uh, looking at it with a crooked eye or cynical kind of look, then uh, we, we, will, we, will see its, we, we will not see its power as it's designed. And, uh, and we're only hurting ourselves when we do that. God's desiring to have a relationship with you, and He does it through His Word. So I'd encourage you to, um, to to study His Word. When you have opportunities to hear it being taught, be under its teaching. When you have opportunities to read it for yourself, read it yourself. When you have opportunities to memorize it, do it. It will be valuable to you. That's what 2 Timothy 3 tells us. All right. Thank you for your attention. Let me pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank You that You have spoken to us. We um, deserve nothing but Your wrath because of our sin. And for some reason, You've chosen to be merciful to us to give us time to repent, to to show us the Savior and our need for Him. And I pray that You would uh, strengthen our resolve to serve Him. Help us in this hour to follow, to reflect on the resurrection 
of our Savior Jesus Christ who died for us, but, but He's no longer dead. He's now sitting at Your right hand and uh, interceding on our behalf. We pray that You would um, help us to look forward to that day when we will be raised from the dead as well and, and uh, be joined in, in newness of life with Him to reign. And uh, we pray that You would uh, just uh, work in any hearts in the service who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they be able to see the importance and the necessity of turning to Him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.